History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 395th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're going to Annapolis, Maryland, and we're going to be traveling through some of the haunted taverns there. Excellent. And this topic was suggested by Amanda Prouty. As most people are probably aware, taverns were really important community places once upon a time. This is where a lot of people would gather to plan things like the revolution and probably during the Civil War, some of the battles then as well. Today, we don't give taverns as much importance because we have the Internet, which has become kind of our online tavern. But there's still great places to go get a a brew. Absolutely. And check out some haunts. And that's what we're going to do. But before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Jess, Dawn, Brandy and Jennifer. Thanks for joining us in our Facebook group. And now, this moment in oddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by Bill Richardson. If we told you that there was a World War II hero that you'd probably never heard of that was a beer drinker and cigarette smoker, you'd probably just shrug your shoulders. But what if we told you that the hero was a brown bear? His name was Wojtek and he served with the 22nd Transport Company's Artillery Division in the Polish 2nd Corps. The Polish soldiers found Wojtek as an abandoned cub in the mountains of Iran. They nursed the bear with a bottle of condensed milk. He learned to imitate the soldiers and would carry heavy supply boxes that usually took at least two men to haul. He would play fight with the troops, and they taught him how to salute. Soldiers would snuggle with him for warmth and taught him some of their bad habits, like drinking coffee and beer and chewing on cigarettes. Wojtek fought alongside the troops in the Battle of Monte Cassino. He carried live ammunition to help load the guns. Wojtek ended up on a farm in Scotland in a village called Hutton in Berwickshire. He died in 1963. Princess Street Garden in Edinburgh has a tribute to Wojtek in the form of a bronze statue that was dedicated in 2015. A brown bear as a Polish soldier certainly is odd. Afraid of the dark? That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs> and now, this month in history. month of July on the 25th in 1978, the first test tube baby was born. We don't call them test tube babies today. People are more familiar with the term in vitro fertilization. Leslie and Peter Brown had trouble getting pregnant because Leslie had blocked fallopian tubes. 
British gynecologist Patrick Steptoe and scientist Robert Edwards removed a mature egg from Leslie's ovaries and fertilized it with her husband's sperm in a laboratory dish and then implanted the embryo into Leslie's uterus. It was very controversial at the time. The experiment worked, and Louise Joy Brown was born via cesarean section, weighing in at 5 pounds, 12 ounces. The Browns had a second daughter via IVF a few years later. Louise, the original test tube baby, would have her own baby in 2006, naturally. Annapolis, Maryland has hundreds of years of history behind it. First settled by Puritans in the mid-1600s, it grew into an important coastal city of historical significance and is today the capital of the state of Maryland. The city has more 18th century structures still standing than any other city in the United States. Some of those structures are taverns and several of those are said to be haunted. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the taverns of Annapolis. Annapolis was settled in 1649 by Puritans who had arrived from Virginia. They named their new town Providence. Lord Baltimore later owned the colony, started here, and had the town named after his wife, Anne Arundel Town. Sir Francis Nicholson was royal governor of Maryland from 1694 to 1698 and moved the capital to Annapolis and named it after Princess Anne, who was to be heir of the throne. Anne became queen in 1702 and in 1708, she chartered Annapolis as a city. And this bit of history can still be seen in Maryland's very unique state flag, which features her royal badge. I really love the state flag of Maryland. It's very unique and very colorful. You'll have to post a picture of it. I'll do that. I'll put it up on Instagram. In 1783, the city became the temporary capital of America after the signing of the Treaty of Paris. And it would be here that General George Washington would resign his commission as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. The design of the now capital of the United States, Washington, D.C., was inspired by the plans laid out by Sir Francis. President Washington liked the Baroque streets that were laid out with focal point circles that had radiating streets, giving Annapolis centers of importance like the State House and St. Anne's Episcopal Church. So really, it's kind of like the Magic Kingdom or even Disneyland that has that wheel spoke kind of thing where you have a central, the castle. And then everything kind of comes off of that. Well, maybe that's where Mr. Walt got the idea from. Maybe. I don't know. The town became wealthy thanks to shipping, and the United States Naval Academy would be established here in 1845. Kelly, I have a little rabbit hole for people to join me in. Uh-oh. Here we go. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm down here in the rabbit hole, and I've brought you with me talking about the United States Naval Academy as I was looking up some things in Annapolis, I ran across this story. Lieutenant James Sutton was serving at the U.S. Naval Academy when he shot himself in the head in front of several witnesses. At least that is what a group of naval officers testified to in 1907. The spirit of Lieutenant Sutton would not rest, though, because that was a lie. His ghost appeared to his mother and sister in Portland, Oregon, and told them that he had not killed himself, but that he had been severely beaten before he was shot. The Sutton family demanded an investigation and the body was exhumed, and it was true that he had been badly beaten. No charges were ever filed, though. 
That's terrible. I know. I'm like, you, you dug the guy up, you investigated, you see that that happened, and they, I don't know if they just didn't know who to charge because there were so many of them and nobody's talking. Wow. But I thought, how cool, because that's only the second story I've ever heard where a ghost came back after they were murdered to let their family know I was murdered. Right, that they didn't take their own life. All right. Well, now let's crawl back up out of this rabbit hole. You first. Like all towns, Annapolis was full of taverns, and many of those still exist today. And several of them have ghosts. So we'll start here with the Ram's Head Tavern. This is located at 33 West Street. This is a dark bar connected to a restaurant. The bar has a low ceiling with rows of hanging pewter mugs. The walls are brick, and there's a fireplace off to one side, which makes it, I assume, very cozy in the winter. Also in the back half of the bar, one will find a bed leg sticking through the ceiling. The building has been here a long time and hosted a number of businesses. During the 1700s, the property here was owned by the St. Anne's Parish. William Reynolds, who was a venture capitalist, hatter, and dry goods salesman, rented the building for one of his businesses. By 1769, Reynolds had turned his sights elsewhere, and he sublet the building to Samuel Chase. Chase represented the state of Maryland when he signed the Declaration of Independence and went on to become an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court for 15 years. He faced impeachment for being too biased in his judgments on the court, but was acquitted. William Ferris would be the next entrepreneur to take over the building, and he opened a clock and silvermist shop called the Crown and Dial. In 1794, the sign of the green tree opened in the space, and we're not exactly sure what this was, but it would seem that a brothel was involved in some way. One of the women who worked there was supposedly named Amy. Remember that name. The Farmers Bank of Maryland acquired the property in 1812. Other businesses named this address as home, including a boarding house and other taverns. The next most prominent business would be the one that opened in 1989. Bill and Paula Muehlhauser bought the building and refurbished it into the Ram's Head Tavern, and it has remained family-owned under that name ever since. Through the years, Ram's Head Tavern has expanded. The Muehlhausers bought the dry cleaners next door in 1992 and opened a restaurant, and in 1993, they bought the barbershop next to that to increase capacity. The legend connected to this property is connected to Amy, who we mentioned earlier. There's not a lot of historical proof behind the story. This is a typical story for a young woman in the 18th century without many options. She was only 16 years old when she started working at the brothel. No one knows for sure how she came to her demise, whether it was an accident or murder, but her bed came crashing through the floor and her neck broke. One bedpost from that bed went through the floor and now sticks out of the ceiling of the bar. So that's the one that you were wondering about, Kelly. The apparition of Amy started showing up almost immediately after her death. A woman named Beverly Litzinger was investigating the ram's head and she captured a shadowy image in a picture that she believes is Amy. During renovations, workers found the name Amy written in the concrete of one of the pillars. Amy's perfume is smelled, and people claim she is a fun-loving and flirtatious specter. She giggles often, ruffles hair, touches faces, spills the drinks of women, and knocks women off their chairs. Yeah, if she thinks they're a bit of a rival, maybe she thinks their husband or boyfriend is cute, she'll give them a little <laughs> trouble. Many female employees feel that Amy sees them as competition and she often causes them to spill plates and turns off equipment they're trying to use. There are other spirits here as well. There's an elderly woman that has been seen and a Civil War soldier in a Union uniform. 
these spirits move furniture and the electric receipt calculator has worked when not plugged into an outlet. The phone would ring over and over with nobody on the other end of the line. The soldier has been seen standing or sitting at the bar drinking a beer. And if a beer is left unattended for too long, the beer will disappear from the glass. That would be me. If you're leaving a beer unattended at the bar and I'm a <laughs> specter, I'm going to take a little sip or two. Next, we have O'Brien's. This is located at 113 Main Street, and it was built in 1774. It was first opened as the Rose and Crown. It was a watering hole for both rebels and loyalist Tories. The upstairs was a brothel for a time, and the storage rooms had been tiny bedrooms, which makes me think that maybe there were cribs. We've discussed oh, those with brothels before right, that basically be. was just a room that had a mattress in it. In 1836, the building became Sam's Cafe, the only place at the time to eat and dance in downtown Annapolis. Can you imagine having only one place that you could do that in a downtown area of that a major city? That sounds really unusual. Yeah. Sailors and merchants love to hang out here. The first cabaret theater was established here in 1964. In the 1970s, Fran O'Brien opened a restaurant that he named for himself. He had played for the Washington Redskins as a defensive lineman. O'Brien's Oyster Bar and Grill opened here in 1999. They refer to themselves on their website as, quote, your favorite haunted banquet house and claim to have spirits. A newspaper article also claimed there were ghosts here, too. They didn't share any ghosts in those places. So, Kelly, you know how frustrated I was getting because I'm like, I OK, know. their website says they're haunted. <laughs> I read this newspaper article that mentions that it's haunted and they heard about it on a haunted pub crawl. Where's the story? There's no information to follow it up with. So I finally went to their Facebook page and I just put ghost into the search to see if something would pop up. And I did get this. It says, ours like to stack chairs at night in odd places. This has happened more than once. Speaking of their ghosts there. And a local ghost hunter who we mentioned in that previous talk that we just did about Ramshead Tavern, Beverly Litzinger, she claimed that O'Brien's is quote, so haunted, it's ridiculous. And then didn't share any stories either. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. So if you guys go to O'Brien's in Annapolis and you have anything happen or you go on a pub crawl there and hear some stories, please let us know because we'd love to hear some of them. I, I hate it when people just claim they're haunted and then don't offer any information. Yeah, it's annoying. Because <laughs> anybody can say, oh, yeah, we're haunted, but we need to know about your experiences in order to validate that you really do have something going on there. And now we're on to Reynolds Tavern, which is located at Seven Church Circle, facing St. Anne's Episcopal Church. And why wouldn't you have a bar right across from the church? <laughs> and this is also home to the 1747 pub. The building was constructed in 1737. We don't know by who, but by 1747, a man named William Reynolds was leasing the property as a tavern and a hat shop named Beaver and Laced Hat. Because remember, beaver pelts were pretty popular back at that time because they were waterproof. So they made a lot of the top hats out of that kind of thing. Sure. This is a place where business was conducted. Mary, his third wife, took over the property when William died in 1777. William's son-in-law took over the tavern after Mary passed away in 1785 and he opened it as a boarding house. A John Davidson then bought the house and his widow would run it as a boarding house until 1811. The Farmers Bank of Maryland bought it in 1812, but realized it wouldn't work well as a bank. They built the bank next door and used the tavern as the cashier's private residence. The building was bought in 1935 by Standard Oil Company, and it hoped to demolish the structure and rebuild it as a filling station. There was an outcry over destroying the historic building, and the location really wasn't suited to a gas station. 
The next main owner of the building would be the Female Orphan Society, who bought it in the 1950s and converted it into the Annapolis Public Library. Ironically, the 1747 pub that is currently in the basement here had been the space used for the Children's Library. The library outgrew the space, and in 1974, the National Trust for Historic Preservation took over and leased it to the Historic Annapolis Foundation. There were many tries at restoring the building back to its original purpose of a tavern, but that really didn't take off until 2002 when Jill and Andrew Pettit bought the building, and in a tip back to the original owner, they named the new tavern Reynolds Tavern. A fun legend connected to the tavern claims that George Washington liked to frequent this pub. He apparently took a liking to Mrs. Reynolds, and when he professed his love to her, Mr. Reynolds ran him out of the tavern. We don't know if there's any truth to this, but it's fun to imagine Reynolds chasing Washington down the street. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of fun? (laughs) If we see this man that we're like, that was General George Washington, and then he became (laughs) President Washington, and some guy's running him down the street going, leave my wife alone! (laughs) The pub has quotes from the founding fathers on the wall perhaps to recognize that some of them were patrons of the tavern. Other stories include ghosts. Items in the kitchen would be moved by things unseen, and once an employee heard a female voice singing Christmas carols in a room they found to be empty. It didn't say what time of the year that was, so I was like, wouldn't that be weird if it was like in the middle of summer and you were hearing Christmas carols? If it was in summer, that would make it extra creepy. If it was during a holiday season, it wouldn't be as creepy to me. And it would be more convincing that this was something haunting happening rather than somebody else, because most people aren't just going to sing a Christmas carol in the middle of summer. Other things experienced by the Pettits were finding indentations in the beds upstairs, a spiral notebook in the office moved on its own, and seeing shadowy figures. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. The Pettits and their employees experienced so many strange things that in 2004 they brought in paranormal investigators. This would be the Maryland Ghost and Spirit Society, and sensitive Beverly Litzinger, who we've now mentioned for three times here, was their leader. The group thinks they interacted with at least five spirits in the tavern. One piece of evidence they gathered was an extreme temperature change in a corner of the room. The temp gun registered a sudden drop in the temperature followed by a spike in heat. I thought that was really unique because it's one thing to get a sudden drop. Maybe you've got a spirit nearby, but then for it to have a sudden spike in heat... But we have had episodes where people, that is the paranormal experience that they've had, is feeling a hot spot rather than a cold spot. This is true. Apparently what happened here is we either had an angel and then a demon pop in, or we had somebody who passed over from a heavenly realm and somebody who came up out of hell and they were fighting in that corner of the room. That's my theory. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Later, a dish suddenly broke in the kitchen where nobody was located. Litzinger claimed to see Mary Reynolds and said, When I saw Mary, I just stood there dumbfounded. She was a tiny woman, very thin, and she was lying on the bed, where I saw the covers move by themselves. There was quite a bit of evidence collected, but so much hype was drummed up and the activity started to amp up that the Pettits decided to stop any further investigations. Mary has proven to be a helpful ghost. One day, an employee had filled a rucksack with frozen filet mignon. 
Before he was able to leave the tavern, the strap on the bag broke, and when it hit the floor, the top opened and spilled out the stolen meat. If patrons get drunk and disorderly, Mary dumps drinks on them or knocks food over onto them, or if they go to the restroom, she'll lock them inside. Yeah, so don't drink too much when you're at that tavern. And finally, we have the Middleton Tavern. This is located at Two Marketplace. Much like Reynolds Tavern, Middleton Tavern hosted some of the nation's earliest leaders. Guests included Benjamin Franklin, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and members of the Continental Congress. The building was here starting at least by 1740. It's kind of murky, the early history of the building, so I don't know exactly when it was built. But I know that there was a woman who was a wealthy widow that owned it named Elizabeth Bennett, and she was there around 1740. So we got to figure the building was built somewhere around then. She sold the property in 1750 to Horatio Middleton, probably because the stockades were nearby, and it would get to be a bit much for her. You can imagine that you had these men who were always hollering out there. It was also near the water, so you'd have a lot of the fish that would be brought in shore down there. There was also a gibbet that was here. And for people who don't know what that is, this was a type of gallows where bodies would be wrapped in chains and left to be picked over by the birds. It was kind of to serve as a warning of, if you commit a crime, this is what will happen to you. We saw a model of one of those at the Pirate Museum in St. Augustine. Not pretty. Horatio opened an inn that catered mainly to seafarers. Middleton himself owned a ferry that went between the eastern shore of the Chesapeake Bay and Annapolis. One person who was carried on this ferry in 1781 was Tench Tillman, who was delivering the news that General Cornwallis had surrendered. When Horatio died, his widow Anne ran the operation, and then later their son Samuel took over the tavern and continued to run the ferry. His son Gilbert would take over later. By 1818, Annapolis Mayor John Randall owned the tavern, and he invited President James Monroe to stay, and he did so from May 28th to the 30th in 1818. At the time of the Civil War, this operated as the Marks Hotel, named for owner Frederick Marks. This was a beautiful tavern that hosted community events. The Maryland Jockey Club, the Annapolis Masons, and the Tuesday Club, which was a group of what was described as the town's most distinguished wits. I don't know. Would you want to be called a distinguished wit? <laughs> Better than a half-wit. I get. Well, that's true. <laughs> Very true. People came to enjoy the gardens that spread from Prince George Street to the waterfront to drink, eat, smoke, and gamble. Cleo and Mary Apostle operated the Mandras Restaurant starting in 1933, and they continued that for 35 years. In 1968, Jerry Hardesty bought the property, and he restored it back to its prior glory and named it Middleton Tavern for the family that had operated it from the very beginning. There were two fires, one in 1970 and another in 1973, but Jerry pushed forward. An upgrade came in 1983 when the tavern was expanded to add an oyster bar. There are supposedly three spirits in the building. One is a Revolutionary War soldier who hangs out in the first floor dining room. Another is a shadow figure that flits about the first floor. And the third is a man dressed in 18th century seaman's attire who likes to look out the windows. Bartender Mike Conroy told the Ghost in My Room podcast some of his experiences while working at the tavern. He was serving the manager Josh at the bar and wiping down bottles when he saw a dark figure moving behind Josh, and he described the figure as coasting out of the bar as if on wheels, and he thought it was almost floating. And later when he was talking about it, it almost sounded like he said it came out of the fireplace, which is what first told him this was kind of weird, and then the way it moved was weird to him. 
but he tried to put it out of his mind because he didn't believe in ghosts or any of that stuff. But then Josh, who had his back to what was going on here, told him that the hair on the back of his head felt like it was standing up with an electrical charge. And uh, oh. we know how that feels when something has actually touched you. So I true. can imagine if there was a spirit somewhat near to you, you might feel that too. Interesting. Mike thinks this was Roland, who is the most well-known ghost at Middleton Tavern. When Roland is around, there's usually the smell of cigar smoke. He likes to knock glasses over and push plates off shelves. He likes to move bottles and even sneak alcohol, which is why many believe he had been a patron here in the late 1770s, and he was said to have mooched drinks from people. An employee saw him once, and he was wearing colonial clothing. He at first thought he was a real person, but when he turned back to ask if he could get him a glass of water, the person had disappeared. Melissa Houston, who is a guide with Annapolis Tours and Crawls, claims to have had Roland mess with her, too. She was standing up telling stories to her tour group when a full glass of water slid across the table and fell on the floor behind her. It took her a minute to compose herself. The group was all looking at the glass very shocked, and they would have seen if a human had done it. So of the three spirits that they say are here, I'm assuming he's kind of the, I don't know, because there's an 18th century seaman's attire, but that's not really colonial garb. And he's not wearing a soldier's uniform. So I don't know if he's the shadow figure that sometimes flits about the first floor. There's also a fourth ghost connected to the tavern, but this one is seen outside. This spirit is seen on Franklin Street, and people think this is Alexander Hastings, who was beaten to death during a robbery outside of the tavern in the late 1700s. Witnesses claim to see the shadowy figure of a man running through the alley and yelling for help, usually being chased by other shadows. So this is probably something residual, I'm thinking. These taverns are some of the oldest bars in the country. Do they still host patrons from another time? Are these taverns in Annapolis haunted? That That is for you to decide. Well, I have never been to Annapolis, Maryland, so I'd love to check it out, especially it's got more 18th century structures still standing than any other place in the U.S. That's amazing. In the summer, right? (laughs) Yeah, because I think Maryland, it does get snow and such there. So, yeah. (laughs) But I also didn't realize it had so much history connected to the founding fathers and such, but I guess it makes sense since they made Washington, D.C. the headquarters for the government. True. I also learned a fun fact while I was doing the research here. All the times that I've looked into bars and been in bars and such, I'd never heard this before, but many bartenders will do a toast to the house. And the way they do that is by tapping their drink on the bar twice. Huh. I had never heard that either. And they were discussing, sometimes they like to toast the ghosts that are there. So the bartender says he'll pour, you know, shots for everybody or whatever. And then the first thing you always do is toast to the house and so you could hear him tapping like twice on the bar and then they toasted to roland the ghost there very cool yeah so i was like well maybe we should start tapping our drinks when we're in a bar a couple times just because <laughs> we're there all the time <laughs> toasting the house and see what happens well not necessarily there but i mean they do it at all bars right so i don't know maybe you get some especially if it's haunted might get some activity or something well this is true if nothing else people might think we're crazy and go what are they doing over there <laughs> on the bar with their glasses they'll keep a wide berth from these introverts <laughs> that's kind of good <laughs> kelly we'd love to have people check out our website at historygoesbump.com and if you want to send us some feedback you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com i know we haven't mentioned it in a while but we are doing the live show in saint augustine on september 18th the night before that we are doing a ghost hunt At the St. Augustine Lighthouse, we still have a few spaces open for that. You can find all that information at the website. 
and just look under the St. Augustine Hunt tab. It'll tell you everything you need to know there, how you get your tickets. And we're up to 37 people that are going to be joining us. And it's gotten really cool now because we're going to have Cedric, who was our favorite ghost host that we've ever had. And he works in New Orleans, is coming over, and he's going to join us and help lead the hunt that you and I are going to be doing. And then Jerry has Nick McGurr, who is also a paranormal investigator and an author, who's going to be joining him and Tracy with a group doing a hunt. And basically, I think what we're going to do is we're going to stay in the locations that we're at. Like, we'll be in the lighthouse, and Jerry and Tracy will be in the keeper's house or vice versa. And we'll have, we'll split the groups into two have one group in the lighthouse, one group in the keeper's house, and then they'll switch sides and we'll just stay where we are. So everybody gets a chance to do investigating with everybody. And then we'll have free time where people have a run of the place and can do their own thing or whatever. I am so excited for this event. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be so much fun. If you miss this, guys, you are missing the best event that we have ever hosted and put together in our favorite city. And it probably won't ever happen again. So (laughs) this is true. If you're thinking about coming to Florida, I would come September 17th and 18th. Also would love to have you guys check out, you know, Kelly, I've mentioned that I started another podcast called the Ghost in You pod. And I talk about some of the weird things that are in the Bible and my opinions about that. And I'm up to episode number nine. And the most recent one features ghosts. So it might be of interest to the listeners. If you haven't been checking out that podcast, you might want to do that. I believe it will be of great interest. Yeah, I had a lot of fun putting that together and talking about ghosts in the Bible. And Well, I, for one, am loving your new podcast. Well, thank you. And I'd love to get more people over there listening to it and subscribing and commenting about your opinion on some of the stuff that I come up with. So we got an email from Blake, and I think it was kind of a a test one to see if we actually are on the other end of this, Kelly. Oh, how funny. (laughs) When you get responses and emails, it's us. If you're commenting to us on any of the Instagram or Facebook, it's us. (laughs) Yes, it is. And we try to respond to everything. He said, I more or less am seeing if y'all get this email because I've got more stories from North Carolina. I've heard you guys talk about West Carolina and Old Wilmington. There's two haunted roads here. And if you want to Google them, they're in Harnett County or Broadway Mammers and Lillington. These are small towns within about 10 minutes of each other. Let me know if y'all get this and care to hear some stories from the area. Of course, we want to hear the stories. send them. And also, I'm relatively new to the podcast. And every day at work, I'm more than likely listening to it. And it's the only podcast I can listen to and not get bored of it. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Blake. We appreciate you listening. That's a wonderful compliment. Thank you. And if you guys love it, please share it with people because that's really how it gets out there is by word of mouth. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery, Melva Pierce. We're going to be burying you in a chest tomb. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.
like drinking coffee and beer and chewing on cigarettes. Well, I don't think most people chew on cigarettes, but I get it. (laughs) I think what he used to do is he would take a lit cigarette, they'd put it in his mouth, he'd kind of puff it for a minute, and then he'd just swallow it. Oh, great. Join us. Join us? Golly. Sir Francis Nicholson was royal governor of Mar... Marland? Marland. Marland. It's Marland. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with my mouth sometimes and the weird accents I throw. The design of the now capital of the United States, Washington, D.C., was inspired by the pla- planes. <laughs> it was inspired by the planes. The Are same... those planes flying in the sky? You know, I... there weren't even planes at that time, Kelly. <laughs> I was questioning what was coming out of my mouth before it even actually came out. And really, if you think about Washington, D.C., I don't think there ever were any planes there. I come from Colorado, which has planes, like P-L-A-I-N-S. Okay. Point taken. (laughs) And told them that he had not killed himself, but that he'd been... And he opened a clock and silver mist shop called the Brown... The Brown and Dial? The Brown and Dial. <laughs> Get your hot and brown. What do they call it for? They do <laughs> have a hot brown. Where was that at? Oh my gosh, what city was I in that they did hot browns? Now I've got all the listeners screaming at me the name of the city. There's an elderly woman that has been seen and a silver war. A civil shore. Civil shore. There's an elderly woman that has been seen and a Civil War soldier. So I can't say that. Soldier boy. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> and a Civil War soldier in a Union. Y- oh, in a Union. In a Union. What in the hell is happening with my mouth? <laughs> Take 250. All you have to say, uh, Kelly, is Civil War soldier in a Union uniform. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and a Civil War soldier in a Union... <laughs> <laughs> that face that you made certainly didn't help. <laughs> because you were going to do it again. We breathe. <sighs> so, Kelly, this is going to just go here in our bloopers. Because when I read the name of that tavern, Beaver and Laced Hat, I'm like, shouldn't that be a brothel? Actually, that was kind of the thought that went through my head, too. <laughs> That's why I hesitated when I was reading it. I hope kids don't listen to the bloopers. We don't know if there's any truth to this, but it's fun to imagine Reynolds chasing him. Which is why many believe he has been on patrol here in the... Which is why many believe he had been on patrol here in the... A patron. He had been a patron here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Patrol, patron, what's the difference? That's not my day. He was That's definitely not day. a cop, because you're about to say what he did. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. <laughs> 